Please be seated. Well, it is good to be here uh, in Amarillo, Texas. I, I, I know that the temperature is not quite what it is in Houston as it is in Amarillo. I know that the countryside looks a little bit different than it does in the city of Houston. I, I found great comfort when I was flying in yesterday, knowing that if something went terribly wrong with the landing gear, that we had a safe landing just about anywhere. It was outstanding. It's a good thing to have that feeling. But y'all do give me a little bit of comfort because um, it's apparently a Presbyterian given that you start seating in the back and then work your way forward. So that's why I walked all the way back there to see you chief sinners of all in the back row. Woo! I'm going to do a remodel on our church and I'm going to take out everything, but I'm just going to have one really big long front row that everybody has to sit at, but... Anyway, it is great to be here. I bring you greetings from Grace Presbyterian Church in Houston, Texas. I just want to thank my brother Howard and thank the Morris um, Distinguished Preaching Series. Did you? I want to make sure you heard that. Distinguished. That's me. Not a one of y'all said that when I came out and passed the peace. All of y'all just, nobody said, well, hello, Distinguished. But I have to tell you that I am honored. I've never been called, I've been called a lot of things. I've never been called distinguished, I promise you that. But I, I am a little bit rattled this morning because it's not really because I'm the, the distinguished preacher for this uh, series that has got such a rich history. I read about the history last night. I'm, I'm not really rattled because the likes of John Ortberg and uh, uh, Peter Barnes and Jim Singleton and Vic Pence and all those. I know all those guys. They're all friends of mine. I'm not, I'm not really rattled by that. In fact, I'm actually kind of excited that y'all have in years past heard some incredibly great and gifted preaching. And so I hope you remember that uh, in about 20 minutes whenever you kind of reflect back on the fact that you have had good preachers here. But what I think that I'm mostly rattled about is, is what happened to me on the way uh, to the church this morning. Now, I'm staying at a hotel. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, I don't know, an hour and a half away from here. I guess times are tough around First Pres, and they, no, I'm kidding. But I'm staying at a hotel, and I didn't really want to put anybody out this morning. Howard, I didn't want him to have to get up too early. And so I thought, you know, I need to get to the church. I don't want to be late. Um, but I also didn't want to walk because I don't know if y'all realize it was 19 degrees or something this morning. So I thought, hey, here's what I'll do. I don't have a car, a rental car. So I said, I'll just take a cab. I thought that would be just, that it sounds like a no-brainer to me. I think this is how we can travel. And so I said, I'll take a cab. And so I called the, or asked the front desk to help me with it last night. Got a cab. The cab meets me out front. I think it's like Polk and 8th or something. And so I go out front. Sure enough, there's the cab. And we drive. I mean, it's not that far from, from, the, from the, nothing's that far in Amarillo. But it's not that far from the hotel to the church. But we're a couple of blocks. And I, and I see a, a building that I wanted to ask the cab driver about. And so I leaned over from the back seat. And, and I just tapped the cab driver on the shoulder because I was going to ask him a, a question about the building. Now, that seems completely innocent to me, right? Well, right after I tapped him on the shoulder, he screams bloody murder. He floors the cab. He swerves over and pops the curb on the left side. Then he shoots back across the right side and he stops literally within inches of a plate glass window at one of the buildings. I don't know what it was, but right in front of this plate glass window. And then we just sit there. 
Calves kind of, you know, kind of running or whatever. I'm shaking. He's shaking. There's silence in the cab. And then he all of a sudden turns around and he looks at me and goes, oh, I am so sorry, but you scared me to death. And I looked at him like going, dude, I don't even live here. What do you, how do you think I feel? Like I just wanted to ride to the church. And he goes, no, 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 it's, it's all my fault. I am, I am so sorry. He goes, but what you need to know is that today is the first day that I have ever driven a taxi. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I just, I didn't know asking you a question could be such an issue. He goes, no, 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 really, I need to apologize because, like I said, today's the first day that I have ever driven a taxi. He said, for the past 25 years, I have been driving a hearse. (laughs) I'm just telling you what I woke up to in Amarillo. But isn't it amazing, isn't it amazing how a change in scenery can affect our behavior? Hold on to that. Open up your Bibles, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, and I'll read the first eight verses. So listen now to the word of God. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On the at one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Friends, I believe with all of my heart that this is the word of God, and I believe that God always blesses the reading and the hearing of his word. So let's pray together. Gracious God, We have gathered in this scenery for a reason, Lord, to worship and celebrate you. But we pray by the power of your spirit, Lord, that when we leave this place, that we would leave for a reason as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so maybe you have figured this out, but I did not take a taxi to church this morning. I just... I'm just covered in guilt that I would even keep you hanging that long. But there is some truth to the reality that a change in scenery can affect our behavior. Because my hunch is many of you here this morning, this is what you do on a Sunday morning. 
You come to church. It's Sunday. I put on my good clothes. I put on whatever it is I would wear. I walk in the doors. I sit in my pew. If anybody else is in my pew, I tell them to get out of my pew and find their own pew. That's what we do in the life of the church. It's Sunday. So we come to church on Sunday. Sunday is church day. And then we leave and we go about our business until next Sunday. Yet the way that I see it is, is that we need this turning point in our lives, a turning point in the lives of followers of Jesus Christ, that, that our faith commitment is not determined by a day of the week, but rather it is a way of life. Every day, regardless of the scenery, scenery we, we need to consider that this calling to be disciples of Jesus is not just something that we, uh, like shift work. Do you know what I'm talking about? Shift work, like, like we come in for a little two-hour shift once a week and then, and then we're off until the next Sunday. But I think in the life of so many churches, that's what it's like. We show up, we got our two-hour shift, and a two-hour shift is like an extended shift for some people in the church, right? We're really kind of one-hour shift people. If you throw out a three-hour shift, you're like the VP of operations or something like that. But why is it that we look at it as though that it is this this shift work? I, I think that we need to make a shift in the way that we think about being followers of Jesus Christ, that we aren't on for a shift and then off, but instead we need to embrace the reality that, that this call to be witnesses is our life's work. Our everyday lives must be on display for the unsuspecting people around us to see Jesus. At Grace, we call this living to make Jesus visible. But the reality for us, most of us, is that that we spend an hour, maybe two, here at first, and and then uh, we might stick around for a Sunday school or whatever, but we're probably likely coming two or three times a Sunday. I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. I'm saying this is the reality in churches around the country. But what are we doing when we're away from here. Because if you think about it, you might be here an hour or two, but where you're spending the majority of your time is between Sundays. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning is between Sundays. What are we doing between Sundays? Because I think that's where the spiritual revolution is going to happen. It's going to happen in the life of First Pres. It's going to happen in the lives of people in Amarillo. It's going to happen across the world when we begin to live out the gospel between Sundays. Acts 1 verse 8 is unusually significant for these reasons. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Some people call this a a geographical outline of the book of Acts, but it is also a theological outline. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, The gospel expanded from a small group of 200 people in Jerusalem to change the entire world. And I should also point out that the use of this word witnesses in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will be my witnesses. The use in Acts 1 8 of witnesses, actually it is a noun. 
The emphasis is on being, on being a witness, not on witnessing. In other words, our life's work is not so much to bring people to Jesus as it is to bring Jesus to people. Sean Spearman is an expert in developing corporate vision statements. And he writes in Forbes magazine an article that your company's vision statement needs to be clear and simple and easy enough to explain it to someone who isn't in your industry. It should not be complicated. If it is complicated, people won't remember it. If they don't remember it, then they can't do it. And Spearman says that 70% of employees cannot remember their company's vision. Jesus had a vision for his people. He had a vision that his people would be his witnesses. It wasn't for 20% of the people. It wasn't for 30% of the people. It wasn't for 50% of the people. It wasn't for 75% of the people. It was for 100% of the people that had said yes and they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. That includes people like you and people like me. He said, that is the vision, that you're going to be sent out and you're going to be my witnesses. But I know what you're saying. You're going to preach it. Look, you just, you came in from Houston. You don't know anything about me. You don't know anything about what's going on in my life. You don't know the complexities of my life. You don't know that my life is hard. You don't know that, that I'm not a good public speaker. You don't know that I don't like to be around people. Whatever. I know, I know. I don't know all that. But I do know that you've been called to be a witness not just on Sunday, but between Sundays. And so I want you just to write these three things down, things for you to remember. The first one is this. Remember that in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ as as Lord and Savior, you get a new identity. And part and parcel of that new identity is to be a witness. But the authentic documentation that you have a new identity is the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And so whenever that new identity is given to you, you then become a witness, a witness between Sundays. And at the very core of what it means to be a witness is to be a person who tells the story. You all have a story to tell about God's love for you. You all have a story to tell about how God's grace invaded your life. And so between Sundays, you aren't just a student that goes to school. But you are a a, a wretch that has been saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. You are a witness that happens to also be a student. You aren't just a, a, a person that is in the oil and gas business. But you are a follower of Jesus Christ that has been saved and called to be a witness that happens to work in the oil and gas business. You're not just a teacher. You're first a follower of Christ that happens to be a teacher. You're not just a mother or a father, but you are a mother and father uh, whose lives have been changed by the grace of God and you are called to be able to uh, raise your children up in such a way that they will come to know Jesus themselves. You're a follower of Jesus between Sundays. And so between Sundays, you're able to to go to those people that are going through a difficult time and say, you know what? I too have been going through a difficult time, but, but it's the good news of Jesus that has transformed my bad news. 
that you're able to look at somebody and go, I can't tell you everything about everything about this, but I can tell you what he did in my life. And what he did in my life was he gave me hope when I was hopeless. What he did in my life was he healed my broken heart when I thought it could never possibly happen. What he did in my life is he showed up and showed off whenever I felt like I had nowhere to turn. That's what you and I have been called to do as witnesses between Sundays. And it's all the result of a new identity that was given to us in Christ. So the second thing I want you to remember is that that you do not have to go about this alone, but instead you have been promised, you have been given the protection and the power of the Holy Spirit. We are not called as a church to protect the witness. We are called as a church to go out with courage and boldness to be a witness under the protection and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not shift work. This is not something that we are on and off again. This is what we do every day of our lives. And so we are gonna be the conduits for bringing about a spiritual revolution in the life of this church, in the, li- in, the, in the life of Amarillo, in the life of the world. It, it's just consider for a moment the great wisdom of the great theologian, Dr. Seuss. Perhaps he was a distinguished preacher here one day. I don't know. But particularly Dr. Seuss's story about Horton the elephant. Horton is an elephant who meant what he said and said what he meant. And elephants, an elephant's faithful 100%. But Horton had a friend named Maisie who was a lazy bird who was tired and bored. Maisie had been sitting on her egg all day after day. It was work. She hated it. She would much rather play. And Maisie thought, if I could find someone to stay on my nest, I could fly away and I could be free. When it comes to be a witness, being a witness uh, between Sundays, it seems to me that you've got two options before you as you leave this place and enter into that change of scenery. You can be like Maisie and you can be lazy and tired and bored and living a life that longs for someone to do your work for you. Or you could be like Horton and live faithfully as you strive to mean what you say and say what you mean. But never forget that you live and witness under the protection and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so finally, I want you to remember this, that it's about people, not programs. If churches are good at anything, they are good at creating and maintaining programs. In the life of grace, I can remember when I got there, we had 200 plus programs. Are you kidding me? Now listen, I am not against programs in and of themselves, but we cannot, we cannot forget that part and parcel of being a witness is about uh, people. And so where it happens is whenever we begin to realize that what we do between Sundays is about being a people that have been transformed by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, and we begin to invest in people with that same gospel. Consider it this way. First Pres can either be a cruise ship or a battleship. On a cruise ship, all of the energy is spent on, on creating and presenting all these different opportunities for the guests so that they might enjoy themselves and enjoy what it's all about. But on a battleship, on a battleship, everyone on board shares a specific mission and all are focused on implementing and accomplishing that, pers- that purpose. My hope for the life of the church not just First President Marilla, but the life of any church. My hope is that we will be a battleship. 
That together we will be propelled by the good news of the gospel. That together we will live intentionally between Sundays. That by participating in making disciples, that we will be compelled to tell the story of God's amazing grace in our lives. Listen, it's like this. Imagine, it, imagine if you had a singing frog. <laughs> a, you would be the hit of every party. <laughs> If you were standing around and you were going, like, what's that noise? Oh, well, let me just tell you what it is. Come over here. You're not going to believe it. And then you pull this frog out, and they start singing, guide me, oh, thy great Jehovah. (laughs) If you had a singing frog, how in the world could you keep that a secret? The gospel. How in the world could you keep that a secret? Are you ready to be a witness? So I'm going to leave you with this. Two more words that I want you to remember as you consider this idea of shift work, as you consider this idea of what your life might look like between Sundays. I think it's okay to say it in church, but here's the two words. No buts. Now that's B-U-T-S, one T, no buts. Now let me see if I can explain it. During the holiday season, I received an email that, uh, I don't know, came out probably two weeks before Christmas, something like that. And the email came from REI. Do you know this company, REI? It's like this outfitter, this huge retail outfitter. Do you know Just nod. Act like you're still awake. I'm almost done. <laughs> REI. So they send this email out, and, and so I open up the email, and, and on the screen, when I open it up, were uh, these big words, just really big words, and all it said was, uh, what's your butt? And then they asked uh, questions or these phrases that came after that, phrases like, but I've never done this before, but it gets dark at five, but it's freezing, but it's raining. And then it said, it's time to team up to overcome the excuses that keep us inside. And then they, the ad concluded with this challenge. They said, are you ready to turn those butts into booyahs? Ah. Oh. Brilliant! Are you kidding me? Brilliant! Are you ready to turn those butts into booyahs? Jesus Christ gave his life for you so that you might be set free to be his witness. That is the greatest booyah in the history of of the world. So I happen to believe that it's time to, uh, for us to team up to overcome the excuses, the excuses of why we will not be his witnesses, the excuses of why we can't do this or that. It's time for us to team up and to overcome the excuses because we have been invited. In fact, we have been called to be a witness. The question is, how will you respond? Will it be with a but? Or will it be with a booyah? Can I get a witness? Yeah. Amen. Booyah.